From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement here at Family Research Council. It's my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. As a reminder, this program can be found at TonyPerkins.com, as can every other program on demand. Also, encourage you to download the app, the Stand Firm app, wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm, and you can get this program directly to your phone, as well as a lot of other FRC content delivered directly to you. The app is particularly important in the event everything good, true, and beautiful gets deplatformed. That way you have a direct connection to FRC. We'll hope you do that. The Stand Firm app. Uh, today on the program, new documents suggest that the University of Pennsylvania has been involved in a grisly scheme to harvest organs from aborted babies up until the moment of birth and then sell those organs. We'll get an update from Pennsylvania on what's happening there. Uh, in addition, we're going to talk to a Pennsylvania state legislator about what she is trying to do about it. Uh, that's later in the program. Also, how concerned should we be about inflation? Uh, we're talking about a $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill, followed soon to be by a $3.5 trillion spending spree. Is this going to affect inflation? Should we care? Why might that be a problem? That's at the end of the program. But first, highlights from the weekend. Uh, last night, the Senate voted 68-29 to end debate on the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package after a weekend of haggling over amendments and time agreements to consider them. Final passage of the bill is expected early Tuesday, after which senators will immediately turn to the budget outline for the massive $3.5 trillion spending plan championed by Senator Bernie Sanders. Now, the Democratic leader has indicated that in a few days he will thrust the Senate into an ultra-partisan showdown over the staggeringly reckless taxing and spending spree that Democrats want to ram through later this year. The size and the scope of Chairman Sanders' socialist shopping list will make every disagreement we've had in landing the infrastructure compromise look like a rounding error. That was Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell delivering remarks on the Senate floor Saturday in anticipation of the budget blueprint unveiled by Senate Democrats today. What might we expect moving forward? With me now to talk about all this and more is U.S. Representative Ralph Norman, who serves the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina. Congressman Norman, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Joseph. Uh, great to have you. And, and first, before we get into the infrastructure conversation, I know you were informed last week that you have tested positive for COVID. How are you feeling? I'm fine. You know, uh, Joseph, I've, I had to, I've been vaccinated. A, my symptoms are relatively mild, loss of taste, smell, a little cough, but um, and tired. But other than that, I'm doing fine. Quarantining is the worst thing. Well, it, it, we've had a lot of conversation about these these breakthrough cases they've been dubbed. Um, does your own experience of being vaccinated, uh, then being a, a breakthrough case yourself, does that affect how you have felt about uh, what we're dealing with, about the efficacy of the vaccine in general? 
Well, I think, you know, whether you take the vaccine or whether you don't, that's a, that's a personal choice. That's a freedom that we have. I'm totally against the mandates. I think it's not for government to tell its citizens that it must do this. Uh, each state has handled it differently with the shutdowns and with the mandates. I hope we, every state rebels against it. And, uh, we'll, you know, time will tell, but that's not the federal government's responsibility. You know, the states form the federal government, not vice versa. So I hope they don't do it. And that's, that's everybody's choice. And, uh, the natural antibodies of what most physicians say are the, the best anyway, but I chose to get it. I'm in a public setting and, um, and, and now I've, I don't know which, I'll find out this week which strain I've got. But uh, no, it's a personal freedom for everybody. Well, it is being uh, addressed in Washington, D.C. As you know, President Biden has recently taken steps to mandate that all federal employees get the vaccine. Uh, Speaker Pelosi is trying to create rules on Capitol Hill that would require everyone in Congress to get it. Uh, what's your position on the steps being taken in Washington, D.C.? It's hypocritical. I mean, look what look what he's doing on the border. The the, the illegals are coming across. We're up to 1.2, 1.5 million. They don't wear a mask. They're not being vaccinated. Yet he's taking the position that every American has to be. But he's you know it's so hypocritical. Nancy Pelosi the same way. Uh, she's the one that admitted a member that had COVID to come through the chambers to go to a to, to the balcony. And get in a cubicle, but she had the she had the had the daring to let that one member expose the rest of us. So it's total hypocrisy, and she needs needs to be called out on it. Uh, we're suing her over the mask. I've already you know had my first fine. Three of us are Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene, but so hypocritical for this group. And I don't see how this administration can claim to take the high road. And when Jinsaki says that he tells people not to come. What a what a complete embarrassment for this country. And it's changing America like the light that we've never seen. That's a subject we actually dealt with on the program last week. A uh, an ICE agent, an immigration uh, official down at the border, had had estimated that about thirty percent of illegal aliens coming across the border had declined to take the vaccine, and it is being offered to them. But thirty percent had declined, which meant it was, uh, of course, optional for them as they come into the country. Um, but but ironically, I suppose is the right word. Uh, they don't want to give that same option to members of Congress. Uh, who are in Washington, D.C. Do you have any estimate uh, what percentage of, of the members of Congress are not vaccinated? Because it was my impression that that number was pretty high, if not 100 percent. Do you have any idea what that is? I would just guess it's maybe 10 percent, 15 percent not vaccinated. Most of us got it when it came out in December. So I think it's probably gone up from there. I don't think it's 100 percent, but it's close to it. Uh, but, but, you know, it's a, uh, again, it should be a freedom and not, uh, forced on us. And most people took it because we're around people. We're shaking a lot of hands. We're with a lot of older people as well as young people. So it's a, uh, uh, we did it out of precaution. And I think most members that I spoke with, that's how they felt. One other step uh, being discussed right now, and right now, according to Jen Psaki, it is only a discussion, but they are having conversations about the possibility of withholding funds from long-term health facilities that do not require their employees to be vaccinated. Uh, what's your response to that conversation? I hope every health agency fights that. I mean, how far are we going to go? 
to let the federal government dictate to us every aspect of our lives. And, uh, you know, if this administration is knows no bounds. Uh, that's why it's so hypocritical for the Senate, particularly the Republicans, to give in to this massive spending bill. Uh, that's just the, the the start of you know the 3.5 and even more trillion that's going to be spent. But uh, the federal government, their aim is to uh, get more illegals in this country. They want to concentrate power. They want to get everybody on government. And the only way we're going to stop it is fight it. And uh, that's why I took the steps I did on the lawsuit. Uh, people don't care about whether I get fined, but the fact that she's a, it's an abuse of power that this, this administration is using. And they're circumventing the Constitution. They're circumventing state laws, 10th Amendment. And uh, the only way we're going to do it is is uh, stand up and say we're not uh, going to take it. And it's going to have to be some pain involved because, obviously, if they cut the funds off, it's going to put people in, in a bind. But where do you stop? How, how do you stop it unless you do that? Well, <clears throat> That would be a, a pretty dramatic step to uh, take away funds from those who are caring for our elderly unless they, they abided by this federal wish. We're talking to Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina. And, Congressman, I want to shift a little bit and talk about infrastructure because that's the big hot topic in Washington, D.C. Certainly over the weekend, uh, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill uh, advanced in the Senate may be coming to the House. What are your thoughts on what's happening? Well, the, the taxpayers deserve better than this. You know, before I went on your show, I saw the time clock on the, the time that we were to, to air. That's like our debt clock that's ticking. You know, the, the 30 trillion is, is only getting higher. And I would add that it's far greater than that when you put Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Highway Trust Fund, and all the others. There's, there's no one, that's, there's no agency that's balancing in this budget. I think that's the intent of this administration. Uh, but get this for your listeners. Of the 110, uh, the $1.10 trillion, it's not infrastructure. When I, I'm a developer, infrastructure is roads, bridges, uh, water, sewer. You know, it's only less than 20% that goes for that. It's AOC's, the radical left, uh, $66 billion goes to electric trains. $110 billion goes to, uh, goes to finance uh, those states that need a bailout. And somehow they got worked in there where they want to replace roads and bridges that had um, that were radically built and practice racism. How do you do that with the road? I mean, they're searching for straws. And the same thing, they've turned the broadband dollars uh, into, you know, bureaucr- unelected bureaucrats distributing the money. And uh, it's 2,700 pages long. Name me one senator that's read that. Um, it'll take them 49 hours if they read 55 pages an hour. But uh, it's a total calamity. It's a uh, total power grab by this administration, and, and we've got to fight it as best we can. And hopefully, hopefully the midterms, we're going to turn these people out. Well, uh, Senators Josh Hawley and James Lankford uh, last week also started voicing their concerns about some of the social policy that's been embedded in this uh, quote unquote infrastructure bill that it has the it has a, a Trojan horse aspect to it. Um, do you have any concerns about what they're trying to do socially with this infrastructure bill? Oh, yeah. Like like legalize eight million people. I mean, how is that fair to the American people? We've got an invasion going on in this country. It's, it's not illegal immigration. It's an invasion. 
We've got, I mean, our cities are burning. Inflation. Have you been to the gas pump lately? Have you tried to build a house? Have you tried to order any kind of part? Look at the car manufacturers. I mean, it's a total disaster. And, you know, and the, the speed of it, that's why I can't get senators who want to practice bipartisanship on this first phase of the infrastructure bill. Where's the bipartisanship? It's not there. It's definitely not going to be there on the, on the 3.5 that they're looking at passing. That's totally socialistic, Green New Deal, that they have given it. The Democratic Party has become the new socialist party, and it's radical, and it's going to take we the people uh, to try to stop it. Speaker Pelosi has indicated that she would not advance the infrastructure bill in the House unless the Senate had already taken action on step two, the $3.5 trillion that the White House uh, is looking for. How do you think this is going to play out? She's shrewd. I mean, I'll give her that. She's street smart. Uh, she's just ruthless. And uh, I'm sure she'll counter vote. She'll do the twisting. Um, you know, she's done a good job of labeling like infrastructure. And I know I've had a lot of mayors call me. She puts a little bit of goodies in it for each state to try to buy your vote off. And luckily, South Carolina's not buying it. Our rep's not buying it. Florida's not buying it. And a lot of other people are not. But uh, I use the analogy, if you had a pill that was 10% good and 90% bad, would you take the pill? No. And uh, that's kind of the, the attitude that I have and other conservatives. And our Freedom Caucus is fighting everything every way we can. And you don't wait. You don't try to stop a locomotive by laying down and saying, go ahead and run over. You do whatever Congressman you Ralph Norman, we, we are at a break. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, we will be back with you again soon. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Stay with us. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. Uh, terrible story. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org worldview. Sitting in for Tony today, uh, we just finished a conversation with Congressman Ralph Norman about infrastructure and the infrastructure bill. I want to remind you of an FRC resource that we have to give you all the information you need to know why it's not really about infrastructure and also how to contact your legislators and do something about it. That website is frcaction.org slash infrastructure. Again, frc.org slash infrastructure. Now, disturbing new details are emerging about a University of Pittsburgh project that harvests organs from aborted fetuses, including aborted babies whose hearts were still beating at the time their organs were removed. The conservative nonprofit Judicial Watch reported last week that it obtained hundreds of pages of public records requests that detail the university's interest in harvesting fetal organs for its project which received at least $2.7 million from the Department of Health and Human Services. What else was discovered? Joining me now to talk about this is Dan Barkowiak, Director of Communications at the Pennsylvania Family Institute, an associated organization of FRC Actions in Pennsylvania. Dan, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Joseph. Good to be here. Well, it's glad we're glad to have you, though. I'm not glad about the story we're discussing here. And, and tell people, uh, you're there on the ground in Pennsylvania. What's happening? What have you learned? Yeah, well, certainly experimenting on aborted babies is sadly nothing new at Pittsburgh. But what we're finding is now the, the public is starting to find out more about it. David Delighton, Center for Medical Progress, Judicial Watch, uh, had a Freedom of Information uh, Act request that revealed some documentation, some of the racist claims they make, uh, really some of the barbaric things they do on babies up to 42 weeks and pregnant up to birth. And sadly, what came out of that is also Pitt, a spokesman, revealing how they may be doing illegal activity by babies born alive and then harvested for organs. So the babies are alive and then they're taking out parts of their body. It's disgusting, it's inhumane, and it's frankly illegal I mean, we're, we're talking about things that Kermit Gosnell is in prison for by babies born alive and then being killed. That's potentially what's happening at Pittsburgh. So the need for more information is absolutely uh, uh, crit uh, critical. We have a, an attorney general, governor that, frankly, are in the hand of Planned Parenthood. There's staff at Planned Parenthood that is at the University of Pittsburgh. So we need more information. There was a, a hearing of several weeks ago that looked at this issue, uh, was trying to find out more information. Pitt sent over someone that's not even involved in their experimentation process with aborted babies. And so often it was heard, oh, I need, you'll have to ask someone else. You have to ask someone else. 
We need answers right now because of what's happening, especially because of what, in their own words, University of Pittsburgh revealed about potential illegal activity. I mean, they're, they're taking babies that are alive and harvesting their kidneys, their brains. And it's just disgusting. It's, it's, it's absolutely cruel and needs to be exposed as soon as possible. Now, Dan, it is, it's grisly, it's, it's terrible, it's disgusting, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of words that could be used to describe this, but how do these public records uh, tell us this? Is this something they actually document? Do they write down the fact that they are harvesting organs from babies who are still alive? Well, they certainly, they're using information, uh, kind of medical terms, but I, I, essentially what it is, is before the process of sending an aborted baby to uh, be experimented on, uh, they are revealing that they're operating on these babies prior to the blood flow being being uh, completed. Uh, so essentially, we are trying to find out exactly what Pitt is doing because they're somewhat revealing some of this potential illegal activity, yet they're not providing answers. They're not providing the exact details of what they're doing. And remind everyone, this is taxpayer-funded. As you, as you said, up to $3 million in just this most recent study alone from taxpayer funds to use for these experiments. And, I mean, we're talking about experiments that are grafting aborted babies' scalps onto lab rats. It's incredibly inhumane, unethical, and it's backed by taxpayers. So the need to fully understand what Pitt is doing is absolutely critical. Transparency, we've heard from our governor here in Pennsylvania throughout his time that he wants to be as transparent as possible. If we're transparent to taxpayers, we should know what they're doing with our tax dollars on these aborted babies. Talking to Dan Barkoviak for the uh, Pennsylvania Family Institute. Dan, uh, you mentioned earlier that there was a racist component to this. What did you mean by that? Well, in some of the limited documents that were revealed, they shared how they would want to have the aborted babies, half of them white and half of them minority. I mean, you're talking about a county, Allegheny County, that's 80 percent white. And yet they're trying to have a quota set up to know how many black babies, how many uh, Asian babies that they are aborting on. I mean, it's disgusting some of the things that they're trying to get away with. And they've been able to do this for years. Uh, so much is happening at the University of Pittsburgh being a hub for abortion training, a hub for these just grotesque experiments. And they're all doing it right under our nose, using our tax dollars. So finally, people like David Delighton, Center for Medical Progress, are finally uh, really helping to expose. People around the state are up in arms over what's happening. And there was a, a rally at the campus of Pitt. There's finally more pressure being put on the University of Pittsburgh to frankly end these inhumane, unethical, taxpayer-funded experiments on aborted babies. Now, there's also some indication this is this is happening uh, in in late term, uh, right before birth in late term pregnancies. But isn't abortion illegal in Pennsylvania after 24 weeks? How do they get away with that? Yeah, that's exactly right. We see in some of the documentation here in PA, they, they have up to 24 weeks, six months in pregnancy, which is still absurd. Babies survive at born at that stage, yet they get babies elsewhere in, in the country. So you could get a baby aborted at, you know, 38 weeks in a different state, then they're brought to Pittsburgh to be experimented on. I mean, it's disgusting what is allowed through the quote unquote experimentation process through science. This is not science. This is just inhumane treatment of human beings. And it needs to be exposed, it needs to be fully investigated, and it needs to stop. In your judgment, 
What should have been happening that would have prevented this? I think more transparency. There's just not enough evidence. I mean, back in the 50s, there's evidence of showing Pittsburgh, you know, prodding against babies that were born and essentially left to die. I mean, they've been doing this for decades. We need people that actually stand up that says this needs to end, this needs to stop. Just because it's dealing with abortion, this political football that we use, it, this is the treatment of human beings. And we need finally elected officials. We need the public to finally say enough is enough. This needs to stop. Dan Barkoviak, Pennsylvania Family Institute, really appreciate your time and attention to this. And uh, we will be in touch because uh, hope this is definitely not the end of the story and we are going to continue to track it. Thank you Absolutely. for being with us today. Thanks so much, Joseph. And we are going to continue to track this and we are going to continue to track this. Uh, after the break, we are going to talk to a state legislator in Pennsylvania who is in the process of trying to do something about it. You're going to want to hear that conversation. Stay with us right after the break. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. TonyPerkins.com is the website. In the last segment, we looked into the University of Pittsburgh's federally funded harvesting of organs from aborted fetuses, including aborted babies whose hearts were still beating. Well, not surprisingly, the discovery has led many to call for an investigation into the university's projects. And among those who are leading the charge in Pennsylvania is Republican State Representative Kathy Rapp, who chairs the majority for the legislature's health committee. 
On Thursday, she sent a letter to Pennsylvania's Auditor General requesting that he review the school's state and federal funding. She joins me now. Representative Rapp, welcome to Washington Watch, and we appreciate you taking a moment to join us from the county fair. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here to speak with you. Now, tell us first, when did you learn about what was happening at the University of Pittsburgh, and what was your reaction? Well, actually, we had heard about some experiments that the university uh, was conducting uh, over in uh, uh, Italy, uh, Sicily, Italy, um, last year, where uh, they were, uh, it's been uh, published in journals where they were aborting babies and then harvesting uh, some of the uh, baby's organs. And uh, so we knew about that experiment last year. And then we found out through David Delighton, uh, he had released a video and I, as I chair the health committee in the Pennsylvania House, uh, we had been doing a series of hearings on pro-life, pro-abortion uh, leading up to some legislation because we had always been accused that we never had hearings on any of these issues. So I decided to go ahead and have the hearings. David Delighton was one of my testifiers, and he testified at the time about what was going on at the uh, uh, medical research with the University of Pittsburgh. And he, uh, at the same time, also put his, uh, uh, his findings out in, on social media for people to see and read. This was the articles regarding removing the scalps of, of the aborted babies and attaching them to rodents at the research center in Pittsburgh. And in Pennsylvania, we fund some of our universities through our state budget on a yearly basis. It's not part of what we call the general budget. It's what we call a non-preferred budget where we fund certain universities, not every university in the state of Pennsylvania, but certain universities where we expect those universities to hold the line on their tuition and uh, uh -huh. so that our students across Pennsylvania, people who attend um, Pittsburgh, can go at affordable rate. Uh, I had advocated in our caucus to not fund Pitt uh, because of the research at Pitt, I uh, made an appeal in our Republican caucus, uh, but we lost that vote. We had 51 members in our caucus who voted against the University of Pittsburgh based on their research. Um, and then also we have a very strong pro-abortion attorney general in Pennsylvania, so I knew I could not rely on his assistant. He yeah. just the other day came out and said on his social media that abortion is health care. But we Represent did just elect. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to jump in there. I, I, I just wanted to, to um, I, I want to get into the details of kind of what you're doing right now. But I, a preliminary question, what do you think uh, could have been done or should have been done that would have prevented this from happening in the first place? Well, unfortunately, many states like Pennsylvania 
and we have a strict um, abortion law, although since time has gone on, since 1973, and uh, from our Abortion Control Act, our state does allow for fetal experimentation as long as the woman is asked after she requests the procedure. She can be uh, asked, do you want to donate the remains of your child to science? Mm -hmm. Has to sign a consent form, and then the aborted baby can be used for science. However, there's no nothing in the law that permits, uh, I believe, either at the federal level or our state level, that those aborted babies' bodies uh, are not allowed to be paid for. We're talking to However, Representative uh, Rap Rap from. Uh, I'm sorry to break in there uh, from Pennsylvania. Uh, we do have very limited time, and I apologize for that. This is a short segment, but I'd like to. Um, you wrote a letter to the uh, the Auditor General in Pennsylvania. What are you hoping is the outcome from your letter from the investigation there? Well, uh, as I said, it is legal for fetal experimentation in Pennsylvania. Our auditor general is a pro-life Republican, and since our attorney general is a uh, is pro-abortion, I knew I could not get uh, help from the attorney general, so I turned to the mm-hmm. auditor general, who, through his position, can look at the book of the uh, uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Research Center to see if they have obtained these aborted babies legally or are they doing something illegal in obtaining uh, the uh, babies that they're obtaining. In Pennsylvania, we only allow abortions up to 24 weeks. So if they are obtaining babies beyond that, I think there is a problem. And, of course, now we know that they're asking for a quota of minorities Representative Kathy Rapp, we are at the end, and I apologize for that, but thank you for everything you're doing there in Pennsylvania. We will be in touch. Appreciate your time very much. What is religious freedom, and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. 
Pray Vote Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray Vote Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. There is so little time and so much to talk about in each one of these segments. We came to a bit of a rush at the end, but for all of our listeners and viewers in the great state of Pennsylvania, uh, we wanted to make sure you knew something that you could do. Uh, you heard there from Representative Rapp in Pennsylvania that she and other legislators have written a letter to their auditor general uh, requesting him to take action and investigate the University of Pittsburgh and their aborted fetal tissue uh, harvesting program. And we are going to encourage you to reach out to uh, Auditor General Timothy DeFore, and we're going to put up there the phone number and the email address, how you can reach him, Auditor uh, DeFore, and encourage you to do so. Uh, that's what you as voters and uh, the citizens in Pennsylvania can do to help this process along, because truly the details of this are grisly, uh, should not be repeated, and should not be continued in the state of Pennsylvania. And so we hope that you will do your part and reach out. The phone number is 717 787 2543. Again, that's 717-787-2543. And the email address is auditorgen, A-U-D-I-T-O-R-G-E-N at P-A-A-U-D-I-T-O-R dot gov. That's auditorgen at P-A-Auditor dot gov. Now, moving on to the next conversation, the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve has said for months that recent inflation is temporary and expected byproduct of the U.S. economy reopening after more than a year. And President Biden went even further, stating last month that those who are worried about inflation should be excited about this multi-trillion dollar three-part Build Back Better plan. Here's what he said. If we increase the availability of quality, affordable child care, elder care, paid leave, more people will enter the workforce. These steps will enhance our productivity, raising wages without raising prices. That won't increase inflation. It will take the pressure off of inflation. 
give a boost to our workforce, which leads to lower prices in the years ahead. So if your primary concern right now is inflation, you should be even more enthusiastic about this plan. Well, unsurprisingly, others have a different opinion, including former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, who had this to say last week. The idea that they're going to have a three and a half trillion dollar bill on top of a one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure on top of all the emergency COVID money. Uh, there is a point where the system starts to break down at two very different levels. One, nationally, uh, the question of inflation mm -hmm. and how do you handle the debt. But the other is personal. What's signally sending to people? Don't go to work. Don't pay your debts. Don't pay rent. Wait for AOC to bail you out. Uh, that's a very bad social signal mm -hmm. in a free society. So what should we be making of the government's spending spree? Is it going to cause inflation? Is it a problem if it does? Joining me now to talk about this is financial economist Jerry Boyer, president of the Boyer Research and editor of Town, Town Hall Financial. Jerry, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph. Great to be with you. By the way, thank you for talking about what's going on here in Pittsburgh with the University of Pittsburgh and these <laughs> grotesque organ harvesting programs. Thank you for keeping the pressure on. Uh, it's a, I, I live here and it's like a spiritual curse really over the region to know that that's going on just a few miles from where I am right now. Yeah, thank you for that. We are happy to do our part. And sadly, uh, I'm afraid that a lot of people are not going to be covering this if we don't really shine a lot on it just because of the implications of, of that issue. Um, and so we do intend to uh, to speak long and loud about it. But uh, our conversation here about inflation, um, a lot of people, we, we hear the word inflation, people talk about it. You're an economist. This is your world. What exactly is inflation? Inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Um, and so if you have a lot of money created and injected into the system so that there's an excess of money, well, how can there be an excess of money? I want more money. Well, you want more money to buy more things. But if there's more money and not more things, then all you do is end up bidding the price of everything that's on the shelf now. So inflation is when there's an imbalance between the amount of money created and the amount of goods and services that are produced. Um, and what we've seen is enormous increases, unbelievable increases, hockey stick you know, chart kind of increases in the supply of money, not matched by economic growth in the production of goods and services. And the idea, I mean, when I heard that comment from President Biden, I'm not a partisan person, but when I heard that, I'm like, what? How in the world does he think that borrowing an extra one and a half trillion dollars, because the extra spending will all be extra borrowing, and that money will not come from savers, it won't come from the world. It used to be the world would lend us money. They'd buy our bonds. Not anymore. We don't have a good relationship with China, and we're not seen as a good credit risk. So who ends up lending that money to the federal government? It's the central bank. They create new money, and then they put it into the bond market. So, of course, that's excess money chasing too few goods. So, of course, it will be inflationary. It already has been inflationary. Last month's annualized inflation rate was almost 10%. That's, you know, gearing up towards almost hyperinflation. So anyone who thinks and then we've had this spending policy, anyone who thinks that more spending is going to move things in the opposite direction is just completely out of touch with reality or spinning things just to get what they want politically and they don't believe it. Now, most of us are used to the fact that over time, uh, 
things increase in cost, right? We spend more. I mean, all, all of our parents spent less than we did for a hamburger and, and an ice cream. And, and so that seems to be normal. Why is what we're experiencing now, or is it what we're experiencing now, is it historically uh, not normal? Well, it's normal for the past generation or two. After 1971, um, uh, Richard Nixon went off the gold standard. Actually, LBJ kind of did it in a sneaky way. And ever since then, inflation has been normal. But for basically 200 years before that, and for 300 years uh, with Great Britain, it wasn't normal to have inflation. It was normal to have something cost one, le- one amount uh, one year and then cost basically the same amount 100 years later. Uh, when money was stable, and actually sometimes less, there was very slight deflation. But once money is not backed by anything, you can argue about what it should be backed by, but when when it's not backed by anything except for political will, which is weak, then inflation becomes a new normal. Okay, we're used to that. We're used to 2% or 3% inflation a year. But that's not where we are. In the 1970s, I think you're a little younger than I am. I was, living, I was a teenager living through that. That inflation was abnormal even by the, you know, the standards of the time. And we're, we're getting inflation levels now that are pretty similar to that. So whether it's normal or not, it's unjust. It's unjust weights and measures. It's bad for the economy. It's good for people who are already rich who can buy inflation hedges. And it's bad for the poor who have basically fixed income level. And it's most bad for people who are on a fixed income, especially pensioners. So it's, it's hardest on the elderly poor and easiest on the liquid rich. Is there anyone who benefits from inflation? Yes. Everybody who works for a government that bases its budget on newly created money. So the beneficiaries are when the government creates the money and it goes into the system, uh, uh, when the Fed, part of government, creates money, and gives that to another part of the government, the Treasury, and then they go out and spend it, it's good for those government workers. Later on, as the money circulates throughout the economy, then the prices rise. So the people who get the money first get it while their purchasing power is still intact. And then downstream. So basically, in proximity to Washington, D.C., whether you're an employee or a consultant, you're the least, you're probably helped in many ways by inflationary policies because you're standing there by the money gusher. And then as it flows out into the rest of society, then everybody else is hurt. Well, it's it's a little bit old data, but I did some research a couple of years ago, and I, I think that it was something like 11 out of the 12, 11 of the 12 wealthiest counties in America were in or around Washington, D.C., to yes. your point of kind of the the money gusher being there in, in Washington, D.C., and, and I think most Americans would see that as a problem as all of it gets sucked uh, to one place. But uh, is there a way to reverse inflation when it does happen? Yes. Um, Jack Kemp talked Ronald Reagan into um, backing up Paul Volcker, who was a Fed chairman who was willing to be disciplined um, in the creation of money. And then Ronald Reagan cut taxes. So if you've got too much money chasing too few goods and that causes inflation, what would undo it? Less money, more goods. Right. It's an imbalance between the amount of money that's created and circulated and the amount of you know, goods and services. So the way to fix it is to grow the economy and to have a little bit of discipline when it comes to money. And we don't seem to have much will for that. Even the Republicans are giving in on this infrastructure bill. So, I mean, the Republicans answer a lot of them is, well, it's one and a half trillion rather than four and a half trillion. 
Okay, you know, I guess one and a half trillion is better than four and a half trillion, but you're supposed to be the sound money party and the fiscal restraint party, and I'm not really seeing a brake pedal party here. I'm seeing two accelerators. The Democrats have a hyper accelerator and the Republicans have a regular accelerator. And if that's the case, then I think that's why gold prices are going up. I think that's why dollar is collapsing, not collapsing, but going down in foreign exchange, because the world is looking at us and saying, who exactly is the voice of restraint here? We don't have a voice of restraint. We just have a a voice of bad and worse when it comes to spending and easy money. Remember, Jerome Powell, Fed chairman, is a Republican appointee. And he's been pumping the money thing like crazy. So, you know, when the economy gets hit with trouble, even people who allegedly believe in free markets and sound money, they kind of lose their will. And to your point, uh, this infrastructure bill, which is $1.2 trillion, and it's supposed to be the small piece of this puzzle, and Nancy Pelosi has already said that she will not advance that unless the Senate has already agreed to spend an additional $3.5 trillion in part two of this uh, kind of one-two punch that they have moving through Congress right now. Um, but when it comes to... Uh, the, the spending that has been done even prior to this year, we have this COVID emergency, and it's been used as a justification to kind of use the government's credit card because we had to bail out all these businesses and families and individuals that were forced to shut down. And in some way, that almost seems like the right use of the government's credit card because there is, in, in, in some ways, an act of God that did require the government to act in ways that otherwise would not be justifiable. But is all that money that was kind of spent in the last year and a half, has that actually been spent? Is it still on the books waiting to be inserted into the into the economy? Where is the I think it's five trillion dollars that we already spent in the name of COVID? Yes. Um, And I agree with you. If the government forces people to shut down, the government should probably compensate them. Now, you could argue that the government, I would, that the government shutdowns were overreach um, and that they should have given more freedom to businesses to decide and states and localities to decide. And then they wouldn't have to compensate us for these massive shutdowns. But they did that. And we just collected the money. So what happens is we couldn't spend it. So that created a temporary deflationary situation. So what do you mean? What I mean is if the government says, here's a bunch of money, this is a stimulus program, but then over here they say, but you can't spend it. You can't go to the mall. You can't go to the restaurant. You can't go to the amusement park. You got to hold on to that money. So here's money, but don't spend it. What happens is balances build up. People have a lot of money in the bank. Well, but now we're opening up again. So now they go out and spend it. And now that they're spending it, then that's bidding up the prices of things. And that's how we have the inflation. I think the other problem is, let me use an analogy. Imagine that the economy and and debt, government debt, are like runners in a race. They're running around a track. And here's the economy. It's growing 3.5% a year. And here's national debt. And it's growing maybe about 4% per year. And basically, as long as they're going at roughly the same pace, then the ratio between debt and the economic output is kind of stable. But imagine that the the economy runner, he trips over a stone and he sprains his ankle, but debt keeps running and it does another whole, you know, uh, lap and a half. And then you, you kind of wrap up the ankle of the economy and then the economy starts running again, too. That lap and a half is lost forever. So we've gone from our debt to GDP ratio, debt to the economy ratio of about 90 percent 
as normal and stable, high, but still stable, to now a zone of 120 to 130%, like the um, European debt nations just before they had their debt crisis. And we won't go back to normal with that ratio because that, that lap and a half when debt was growing and the economy wasn't is never made up unless there was is extreme effort on, on restraint of spending, restraint of borrowing, and getting into a greater growth mode with the economy. But we're not moving towards growth policies. We're moving towards anti-growth policies. And so we are now permanently more like a uh, more like, not Japan is bad, but more like Italy, Portugal, Spain than we are like we have been historically in terms of the debt and our ability to handle it, given our economic growth. We're talking to uh, Jerry Boyer, president of the Boyer Research. Um, Jerry, uh, we are about at the end of the segment here, but do you think the political will exists to in, in Washington, D.C., to behave responsibly and manage our way out of this uh, without getting ourselves into big trouble? No, I don't. I think that there won't be any foresight political courage. I think there will be hindsight political courage. And that's what happened in the 70s. We had a policy mix like this under Jimmy Carter, really under Nixon, Ford, Carter. And then what did that happen? Washington, did, did Washington say, oh, we need to learn? no. The hinterland imposed discipline on Washington from the outside by electing Ronald Reagan. So if we have a 70s economic environment that called forth Kemp, Reagan, et cetera, I think going through a similar economic environment will call forth another Reagan-like figure. But he or she won't come from Washington. Um, This will be a governor or, or a business person or something like that, where the country will impose on Washington. We'll say enough pain, enough of the money going to those zip codes just around Washington, D.C. We're cutting up your credit card, Washington, and we'll send a president there to deal with it. Jerry Boyer, I really appreciate your time and also your uh, your enthusiasm for economics. It makes it fun for all of us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Joseph. And we thank you for joining us today. Um, just like the economy, just like what we see in Pennsylvania, um, self-control, the willingness to make hard decisions, do the right thing, is the is the solution to all of our problems. And so we hope that you will take that uh, into consideration. We will be back tomorrow with you on Washington Watch. We look forward to it. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 